We're concluding our series in living a life of dominion today. And I want to talk about the keys of dominion today. How many of you have ever watched a uh, documentary about some of our special ops forces in our military? Maybe the Green Beret or uh, maybe the Navy SEALs. One of these special ops groups. One thing that they have is they have a choice of all of these wonderful tools and weapons to enable them to do their job. And I want you to know that God wants you to be part of his special ops. And he has given you tools and weapons so that you can welcome the rule of God into any situation that you face to overrule what's ruling right now. How many realize your flesh tries to rule your life? How many realize the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, tries to rule your life? Amen? But how many have chosen the rule of God over both of those kingdoms? Amen? Amen. Well, I want you to take notes today because we're going to look at some of the keys of the kingdom of God. I want to begin in uh, chapter 16. Let's begin with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? That's the greatest question in life. There's no greater question you will ever be asked then who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Today we have all kinds of answers in our world today. They say Jesus, some people say Jesus didn't even exist. But that's a a ridiculous answer. Others say, well, he was an ancient prophet. Others say he was a teacher. He was a good man. But our text has the answer. And that's why we're here today, because Jesus was more than just an ancient prophet. Amen? Verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a preacher of social justice and righteousness. Jesus preached social justice and righteousness as well. Some say Elijah. Elijah was a great miracle worker. Jesus was a great miracle worker. Others said Jeremiah, because he was the weeping prophet. We see that Jesus had compassion and wept over Jerusalem when they rejected him. And then, and then he says, one of, the, one of the prophets, and the prophets spoke the word of God. Jesus spoke the word of God. So they were comparing Jesus to all these great prophets of old. Verse 15, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why we're here today. Amen? Amen. Jesus is more than a good person. He's more than an old prophet. He is the Christ, the anointed one of God, who took all of our sins on the cross, and he died on the cross for our sin, that we might be forgiven, that we might have a relationship with our heavenly Father restored. He is the Son of God. 
Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If there's someone that doesn't know Jesus and you're wanting to know how to pray for them, pray that the heavenly Father will reveal to them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. There's two things I want us to see there. This rock is different from the word that he used in talking about Peter. Peter was a little rock, a stone, a pebble. But he says upon this rock, he's talking about a massive cliff gigantic rock and so he wasn't talking about Peter he was talking about the truth that Peter had just spoken when he said you are the Christ the son of the living God the church is built on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah he is the Christ he is the son of the living God the second thing I want us to see in this he says I will build my church who builds his church Jesus does. Now he works with us, he works through us, but he builds his church. And it says, and the gates of Hades. Hades is the Greek for hell, and so it's interchangeable. He's saying the gates of hell. He's talking about the council of hell, the wisdom of hell, the the practices of hell, the will of hell. Hell is not going to triumph over the church. And and church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about you. Amen? Verse 19, and this is our focus today. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Keys have to do with a realm of authority or privilege. These are keys to the church. I have uh, one key that's the master key to all of the inside doors that use keys. And then I have another key that's the master to all the outside doors. And then I have another key that's a special key to the financial office. And these keys will get me in any door. I also have keys to my car. I have keys to my home. And the the purpose of all these keys are to give me access and operation into. If I take the keys to my car, I put it in the ignition, and I I turn the, the ignition on, I can drive that vehicle, right? That's why our teenagers constantly ask for keys when they get to that age. Can I have the keys, Dad? Now, I want you to think about that. They give us access and privilege and enable us to operate, right? One other thing about keys, of all the keys that I have, there's only one person in my life that has the exact same keys, And that's my bride. Melinda has access to every key that I have. 
And it's interesting that God calls his church his bride. And the one person that has all the same keys and access that I do is my bride. And Jesus is giving us keys of the kingdom that will allow us to operate and allow us to ignite, to turn on the power of God, to welcome His presence into a situation that He would overrule what's trying to rule in our life and bring the rule of the kingdom of God. How many like that idea? Amen? Now, there's one other thing. In this passage, it, it, uh, Matthew uses a term that none of the other gospel writers use, and it's the term kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers use the term kingdom of God. And so that can throw you if you don't understand why he did that. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same terms. They're interchangeable. Matthew uses both terms in his gospel. But the gospels were written with distinct audiences in mind. Matthew's gospel was written with the Jewish people in mind. And the Jewish people were very aware of the preciousness of the name of God. And they would be highly offended of someone who overused the name of God. So that's why Matthew in his gospel uses the term kingdom of God some, and he uses the term kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. Now the other writers, uh, Mark, Mark's audience was first of all for the Roman community. And uh, Luke's audience that he had targeted was the Greek or Hellenistic community. And then the Gospel of John, he was, it was written 30 years later than the other Gospels. And he was filling in some of the chronological uh, understanding. He focuses on the last about 15 days in Jesus' life. 12 to 15 days, something like that. And so his gospel had a target of, of the cross. It was, it was right there before the cross and what God was doing, what Jesus was doing. So all of the gospels have a different first audience or first target as they were written. So that helps us understand that when Matthew uses that term, he, he means the, th the same thing that we've been talking about, the kingdom of God. Now, I want us to look today at a couple of other things. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When it talks about being born of water there, it's talking about our natural birth. And then when it talks about the Spirit, it's talking about our heavenly birth. When we say yes to Jesus Christ and the, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we're saved. In other words, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is we can't operate in the gifts of the keys of the kingdom of God until we're part of God's kingdom. Amen? And so we become part of the, the kingdom of God by saying yes to Jesus Christ. Lord, I acknowledge you that you died on the cross for me. Lord, forgive me of my sins and I want you to be the Lord of my life. So I want us to look at seven principles. Now, there, there's not a list 
Notice that after this, Jesus doesn't begin to list the keys. But if we think about it and we know Scripture, there are at least seven keys that readily come to mind. And that's what I want to remind us. The first three, every one of us are familiar with the first three. And I wanted to go through the keys quickly this morning because there's seven of them. So don't think I'm going to keep you here till noon. Well, I do that every Sunday. That's only, that's 30 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to keep you here till noon. I'm going to get through the keys today, but I want you to write these down because I want you to be a special ops operator in the kingdom of God. I want you to have the tools that God's given you to wage war against the enemy and to see his hold broken in the lives of people. Amen? The first one, the Word of God. We all know how powerful God's Word is. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul is speaking about the armor of God. And he mentions the Word of God in verse 17. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is an offensive weapon, not just a defensive part of the armor. Amen? That's why we need to memorize the Scripture so that we have that sword ready whenever we face situations. We have the Word of God. So when in spiritual warfare, I encourage you to use the Word of God. Now, the, there are two words that are used in Scripture for the Word of God. One of them is rhema. Everybody say rhema. The other is logos. Everybody say logos. Logos has to do with the whole of Scripture, the whole of God's Word. Rhema has to do with a verse of God's Word. It's, it's, it's where you take an idea that's contained in Scripture and you apply that into your situation. It's literally taking it like a sword and wielding it against the enemy. If you were in a battle, you, you might use, we just read it, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In the original language, it is written where the verb usage means, church, that on heaven's side it's already done in perfection. And God's just waiting on you to take the Word of God and to apply it in that situation. Amen? So that's what it's talking about, using the rhema word and wielding it in a way that breaks the power of darkness. Remember when Jesus was confronted in the wilderness by Satan, perfect example. How did Jesus counter the temptations of the enemy in the wilderness? He said, it is written, and he quoted scripture at him. Amen? Church, there's nothing wrong with you doing the same thing. We need to be a church of the Word of God, where we memorize the Word of God, where we pray the Word of God in the situations that we face. Also in Luke chapter 1, when the angel came to Mary, 
Remember what the angel said? For with God, nothing will be impossible. But if you look at that in the original language, yes, that idea is there. Nothing is impossible for God. But the way that it's worded in the original language is, is powerful. Let me read it to you. The angel literally told her, no word of God is without power. No word of God is without power. That means that every word that we read that God has given us, inerrant in the word of God, is power to fulfill what God has given us that word to accomplish. How many like that idea? Amen. Remember that no word of God is without power to accomplish his purpose. And then finally, a verse that we quote all the time in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and to the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's powerful, church. Amen? The Word of God cuts to the very core of our being. It separates what is eternal from what is temporal. Number two, the second thing, the key that God's given us is the name of Jesus. How many realize there's power in the name of Jesus? Amen? In John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, they're in the upper room, and Jesus is telling them that shortly he's going to go and he's going to die on the cross. And he's teaching them some of the last things he wants them to know. In verse 12, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Then listen to this. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus doesn't repeat himself just to hear himself say beautiful words again. He repeats himself, and twice in this short passage, he says, you ask anything in my name, and I'm going to do it. He wants us to understand that when we say, in Jesus' name, at the end of our prayer, it's not just signing off over and out, Roger Wilco. Amen? It's saying, in the name of Jesus, my Savior and my Lord, the King of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is on the throne, the one who is in control, the one whose rule I am welcoming into this situation right here and right now. It's in His name. That's the way we pray. Amen? How many want to pray that way? In Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is in that passage is saying, in my name. And then he says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It's in his name. 
the name of Jesus, the power in that name, that we pray for people to be healed. And God still heals people today. There's also refuge in that name. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Are there times when we need to run to the name of the Lord in that place of refuge? And remember the story of David and Goliath. Everybody loves David and Goliath. Amen? We love that story. A little... A young little lad, and he comes, and he, he has the, the sling and the stones, and he takes out Goliath. But remember what he said in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. He said, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Amen. When we enter into battle, church, we're not coming with our physical abilities. We're coming in the power of God's Holy Spirit. We're coming in His presence, in His power, in the power of His name. I love that. And I'm trying to get through with these because I know somebody's got a pot roast. They're worried he's going to burn. Number three, the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus. Sadly today, many churches never talk about the blood of Jesus. They never sing about the blood of Jesus. And I'm thankful that we still understand the power of the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame Him. We, the church, overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. In the original language where it says the word of their testimony, it literally means the word or report of their martyrdom. You see that, how that verse ends. It's saying that we don't love this life more than we love Jesus. And because we live that way, where we love Jesus more than our own life, and we understand the power of His blood when it was shed for us, we operate and we overcome the powers of darkness because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Now most of us, if you've been a Christian very long, you understand those three keys of the kingdom. But I'm going to give you a few more this morning that you may not have thought about. One, one other example before I go on. Remember in the Old Testament, I'm not going to read the scripture for time's sake, but remember in the Old Testament when God was delivering the Jewish people from Egypt, what were they to do on the outside of the door? They were take the blood of the lamb 
and mark the post of the door. What happened? The spirit of death could not cross the bloodline. Amen? The spirit of death couldn't cross the bloodline. It shows the power of the precious blood. It was forecasting what the blood of Jesus was going to do for us. You and I are going to live forever. Not in this old body, but in a brand new glorified body. And there are lots of days at my age that I'm ready for that glorified body. But I know one day I'm going to have a glorified body and I'm going to live with Jesus forever and ever and ever. He's going to rule and reign and I'm going to be right there with Him. You're going to be right there with Him because we have come under the mark of the blood of Jesus. I'm going to get hot up here before this is through. Number four, the rivers of the Spirit. The rivers of the Spirit. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, they were in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. They were celebrating the trip through the wilderness and how that, that God provided for them. They're celebrating something that happened about 1,400 years before this. But they were acknowledging that God provided water coming from the rock to, to quench their thirst, to provide life for them. And in that celebration, Jesus comes in. This was the climax, the highlight of the celebration. They would take huge cisterns and they would push them over on the, tepsa, the steps of the temple and the water would come flushing, flushing down. And so verse 37 says this. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John there is talking about the Spirit of God coming into our life and then flowing through our life to minister to others. That's God's plan for every one of us. We see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit of God is poured out on the church. And it says in Jude 20 that the Holy Spirit when we pray in the Spirit, that it builds us up spiritually. It encourages us. It strengthens us. And church, in the times we're living in, we need to be built up. Then in Romans 8, it tells us that when we're in our weakness and we don't know how to pray, that the Holy Spirit will pray through us exactly what God wants prayed. So it's powerful, the rivers of the Spirit of God flowing from our lives, flowing and ministering to others. Number five, songs of deliverance. Mitch and the worship team love this one. Come on, worship team. Are y'all? Songs of deliverance. In Psalm 32, verse 7, Scripture says, 
you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. We see this take place in Acts chapter 16. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in the inner prison. They're in shackles. They're in custody. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. I love that. Everyone's chains were loosed. As they began to sing, the power of the enemy was broken. I have one of my great friends from Wrangell that's here today. Greg, where are you? Where's he at? There he is. Greg, stand up. I want to embarrass you. <laughs> Greg was my worship leader in Wrangell for years. And I don't get to see him very often. This is the first time he's ever been to Wasilla since we've been here. But he'll tell you, when we, went to, when we first went to Wrangell, you can sit down, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Greg bought a set of drums for the church so that Mitch would have to take drum lessons. Yeah, but, but what I, the reason I mentioned Greg today is because he can tell you, when, I, when we first came to Wrangell, Wrangell had been hurt and been wounded, and there was just a heaviness in the church, and the Lord stirred my heart that not only would, would Greg, you know, lead us in worship and praise and we, we focused on the power of praise in our services. And church, when we begin to worship, it's not so that you can get your holy groove on. We're doing warfare. We're wanting the captives to be set free. We're enthroning Jesus in our praises. Amen. And we're singing songs of deliverance. When you praise Him, it brings freedom. One of the things we did, we, we uh, had a, upstairs in the sound booth, we had a CD player. And I just felt that when we weren't having services, I was going to fill the auditorium with worship and praise. So the, the, the CD player had a repeat button, and it would play that entire CD of praise and worship, and then it would start over again. 24 hours a day, all through when we, on the days that we weren't having church, you could walk into the sanctuary and there would be praise and worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we prayed, and, and before long, that heaviness began to lift, and it was gone, it was broken, and there was freedom to worship, and, and the people came in and they were happy and excited because. 
The songs of deliverance break the bondage of the enemy. Amen? Number six, the shout of triumph. Most of us know Psalm 47 verse 1. Starts out, oh, clap your hands, all ye peoples, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Most of us have the clapping part down pretty good. But I want to challenge you, when you clap, do you think about it being part of worship, part of prayer, part of warfare? In our culture, many times, we just automatically, oh yeah, good, I agree, that's good. Christians should not clap that way. Christians clap because God tells us to clap, but we forget about the last part of that verse. When we clap, we're, we're clapping and we're saying, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Glory to God! Right? We're praising Him. But in this verse, it says, Shout to God with a voice of triumph. This is saying that we should declare the victory that we've been promised in Scripture. Scripture says, Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And in Genesis, we began this series looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. And it talks about God giving us dominion. And if you look at the word in the original Hebrew, it means to tread down, to rule, to have dominion, and to prevail against. And, and in Hebrew, it's redha. Redha. Turn to somebody and say redha. God says you are to redha in life. Amen. We're kings under the king of kings. Amen? Number seven, the high praises of God. In Psalm 149, verse 5 through 9, Scripture says, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. Now listen to this. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. Now we can read that and think that David there is talking about, you know, real physical battle that his people would face. But notice he ends it with to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. If you study scripture, you'll find out that God's word refers to all of us believers as his saints. This is a promise not just for David. And it's not just physical, it's a spiritual thing. See, it's talking about the high...
came prepared. It says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And a two-edged sword. We talked about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Let high praises come from our mouth. Let the Word of God come from our mouth to execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. When we begin to pray, we just looked and we praise God, we worship Him. We looked at the picture of Paul and Silas bringing freedom. And church, notice, it didn't just bring freedom to Paul and Silas, it brought freedom to all the people in prison. But now I want you to see here that the high praises of God doesn't just bring freedom to us and freedom to others. It brings bondage to the enemy. It binds the enemy. If you're having issues in your home, put on praise and worship music. Sing along with it. Let the high praises of God come from your mouth, come from your family, and see the atmosphere begin to change. That's why it's so powerful, church, when we come together on a Sunday morning. Those that are playing, they're praising God. They're leading us with singing and with music boldly to the throne of grace. We're praising God, and it's not just singing a song. We're in spiritual warfare. It brings freedom to you. It brings freedom to those that come into this house. And at the same time, it binds what the enemy's wanting to do. Amen? That's why it's so important. And these are just seven things. And I'm again, there's not a list. These are just seven things that I perceive. There's probably many more in Scripture that Jesus says these are the keys for you to operate and bring the rule of God into the situation that you face. So it's the Word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, the rivers of the Spirit, songs of deliverance, the shout of triumph, and the high praises of God. Apply that in your life, church. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Apply that in your life. I want you to stand with me. Almost made it. Only two minutes over. That's doing pretty good for me. I want the worship team to come, and I want you to think right now, are you in a battle? Is there some area that the enemy has a hold, or he's, he's buffeting you, he's hindering you, he's doing everything that he can to stop you from fulfilling what God has for you? I want you to apply these today. I want you to apply them as we worship. And if you have a special prayer you want to pray, I'm going to ask the prayer team to step out from where they are to come forward. And we want to pray with you today before we go. We're not going to take a long time, but we want to pray. There'll be prayer team members at the back and prayer team members at the front. And we want to pray with you today. We want to use the keys of the kingdom of God to see the enemy's strongholds broken. Amen. Father, we just thank You today for the promises in Your Word. 
Lord, we thank You that Your Word teaches us the power of all these things. And Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be just another Sunday service. Lord, I pray that we would take these truths and we would apply them in our lives. Lord, that we would be on the offensive. We would be warriors for Christ. That we would enter into spiritual battle with the weapons that you've given us, the keys that unlock the access and the power, Lord, into our situation. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you haven't made a commitment to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, find one of our prayer team today. And they'll pray with you in a prayer that will lead you to Christ. And your life will never be the same. Because these keys of the kingdom of God can't operate in our lives unless we're surrendered to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead. joining us today we look forward to connecting with you next time and don't forget you can support us by giving through the church center app or by going online at summitwc.com give